shark, swallow you whole. I value my neck a lot more than 3,000 bucks, Chief. Find him for three, but I'll catch him and kill him for ten. Ten thousand dollars for me by myself. For that you get the head, the tail, the whole damn thing. You yell shark, we've got a panic on our hands on the 4th of July. Mr. Vaughn, Mr. Vaughn, I pulled a tooth the size of a shot glass out of the rectal of the boat out there, and it was the tooth of a great white. A what? You're gonna need a bigger boat. Love to prove that, wouldn't you? Get your name into the National Geographic. Now, I'm not saying that this is not the shark. It probably is, Martin. It probably is. It's a man-eater. It's extremely rare for these waters. But the fact is that the bite radius on this animal is different than the wounds on the victim. Welcome back to the Jaws Obsession, where we are here to share with you, prove to you, convince you, or remind you that Jaws is the greatest movie of all time. Here we are with episode 23, USS Indianapolis Memorial Day 2022. The Jaws Obsession has become a global broadcast where we have, we just crossed our 5,000th download and uh, we have listeners all over the world. I think we are current. We just had a couple more countries pop up: Peru and Turkey. We have list. We have downloads in Peru and Turkey. So we are listened to all over the world. So today is Memorial Day in the United States, and Memorial Day is a federal holiday for mourning the U.S. military personnel who have died while serving the United States Armed Forces. So I thought it was fitting to um, have this episode as our first, pretty much our first of uh, many episodes we'd like to do on the USS Indianapolis, the sinking of the USS Indianapolis, and the survivors of the tragedy. I have a few observations and discoveries I came across when researching uh, for the writing of the Book of Quint. As we all know, uh, Quint is the fictional embodiment of the 316 survivors of the sinking of the USS Indianapolis. In doing that, I always said that, uh, why is Jaws the greatest movie of all time? There's many reasons, but one of the main reasons that I have said before on the show is it's not just Jaws is not just a uh, monster shark movie. It is a human movie that has a monster shark in it. There's many layers of the humanity that is in Jaws. And one of those layers is uh, Quint's surviving of the USS Indianapolis, which is detailed in that immortal speech that he does on board the Orca, where he talks about surviving the tragedy. So first, before we get into that, you probably noticed I said it was 316 survivors. Before, there's many, there was even a, there was even a book written, only 317 survived. It was understood for many years that 317 was the number of survivors. And Robert Shaw actually used the number 316 in the movie Jaws. And everyone 
understood that to be sort of a uh, gaffe, which was a wrong number. Well, it just so happens that Robert Shaw and Quint was right the whole time, that it was 316. So one of the books that I'm going to be referencing here for the show is called Only 316 Survived the USS Indianapolis, Navy's Worst Tragedy at Sea. The book was printed, and I have the book, it was called Only 317 Survived, back in 2002. So this book is um, a book originally published by the survivors of the USS Indianapolis and their families. So it's a collection of first-person accounts that was gathered and edited by Mary Lou Murphy, a wife of survivor Paul Murphy, who served as president of the USS Indianapolis Survivors Organization for more than 15 years. So it was initially self-published, this book, in 2002, and the title was Only 317 Survived. They wrote to all of the survivors' families, and if they could find any of the survivors, anybody that was still, any of the survivors that were still alive, and they asked them to have a personal account. If it wasn't the survivor, then they wanted the family to write a personal account about their grandfather or father that w that survived the uh, sinking of the USS Indianapolis. So they compiled all this, all these letters into one book. So you have each survivor is given a chapter. So you have 317 chapters, and each chapter is dedicated to that survivor. It, it gave a, how should I say this? It gave a platform where these survivors could talk about their experiences and what they went through, and also what the families could, it gave the families a platform how they could talk about their experiences living with the survivors after the tragedy. That was very important for me when I was doing the research into the book of Quint because that right there is the key to the story, is the sinking of the USS Indianapolis and the tragedy is only, that's the first part. The, the actual tragedy actually extends well in many, many years after the war in many of these men who were living with the trauma and the stress of surviving that tragedy and the guilt as well in what they survived and their friends did not. And I'm going to get into a couple of those accounts here where I'm going to read you a couple. And uh, But what I wanted to say was this book was very, very valuable. It put a human, it showed the scope of this tragedy. It showed the scope of the sinking of the USS Indianapolis. It opened it up. Not just, it wasn't just five days in the water. It was an entire life and lives that were affected afterwards. That was very important to me, and I felt that that's what I wanted to convey with Quint's story. Uh, so getting back to this book, um, it's now called Only 316 Survived. Readers will note a slight change to the title of, the, of this digital version. It's only available in digital now. You can still find in, um, old print copies out on eBay, which is where I got mine. The digital version of the Survivor's original 2005 book, from only uh, only 317 survived has now been changed to only 316 survived. Author Sarah Vladek and Dr. Richard Halver of the Naval History and Heritage Command conducted separate and extensive research to verify the actual number of Indianapolis survivors, which had long been in dispute. Using crew manifests, hospital lists, rescue ship records, and naval service records, Vladek and Halver were able to confirm that though one sailor, Clarence Donner, was listed on the Indianapolis crew manifest, he did not actually sail with the ship on her final voyage. 
However, because Donner's name appeared on the manifest, the Navy considered him a survivor. This increased by one, both the number of men in Indy's final crew and the number of survivors. So Vladek and Halver combined their research and conclusions, publishing them in a March 2018 article in Proceedings, a journal of the Naval Institute, the U.S. Naval Institute. That article is included in this book under Chapter 55, previously set aside for Clarence Donner. The previous survivor number, 317, was considered official for more than 70 years and was often cited by the survivors in the print version of this book. In preparing this uh, ebook, editors changed all occurrences of the th number 317 to the correct number 316, indicating all such changes to survivors' original counts with an asterisk. It fits. Everything fits with the history of the incident at number 316 that Robert Shaw uses is now the correct number. I think that is a um, groundbreaking fact, and I stumbled upon that. Uh, that's only been known since 2018. So we just proved that uh, Quint was right. It is number th it's 316 survived, not 317, which we all thought it was for 70 years. I wanted to jump into this book, 316 Survived, Navy's Worst Tragedy at Sea. 879 men died. The tragedy of USS Indianapolis, the magnitude of the story is so immense that each part of it is a movie in itself, is a book in itself. The initial sinking, just surviving the initial sinking where the vessel goes down in 12 minutes, that's an entire struggle right there that to portray that is... It, there's a lot of there's a lot of stories. There's a lot of narratives going on. Trying to tell this story, you can sort of lose the emotional or the heart of it when you try to tell it, cram it all into two hours or three hours. Even the speech by Robert Shaw had to be trimmed down in Jaws because the two and a half pages, and we talked about this back in episode five, where all these writers put this sequence together. Robert Shaw actually had to trim it down because it was just too long to say in the movie. There's so much that went on. It's, it's hard to tell that in, entire narrative in one shot. So where I felt it was best to take the story of Quint with the book of Quint is you have to close the scope down and you focus on one man and how, how he dealt with the situation. And that's ultimately who we meet in Jaws in 1974 we meet a guy who's been living with this for the better part of 30 years, for, you know, for 29 years now, ever since 1945. So for this Memorial Day, I wanted to read some of the passages out of 300, only 316 survived. And in doing so, I wanted to bring a more personal experience of what these men went through, but also what the families or what these men went through after after the tragedy and that's where we're that's where that's where we are focusing on with the book of quint is after the tragedy so that's why the book of quint opens up on the last day the fifth day in the water the sinking of the uss indianapolis because after that the story takes off you're witnessing the aftermath and that's very important what we are dealing with today with many coming back from war chapter 114 this is survivor number 114 his name was a yeoman third class william o hoskins his date of birth was june 18th 1909 so his account he was already passed away and his account was respectfully submitted by survivor hoskins oldest daughter carla churchill 
Our father enlisted in the Navy in 1944 or 45. At the age of 34 or 35, he was much older than most of other sailors. He was called Pop aboard the ship because of his age. After my father left for the Navy, my mother took an office position at Camp Crowder, Missouri. The USS Indianapolis was hit by a kamikaze in the attack on Okinawa, March 1945. The ship returned to dry dock in California for eight weeks to be repaired, and our father came home on leave. He hitched a ride on a motorcycle from California to Missouri. I remember when our father's ship was hit and sunk by a Japanese submarine, and that there was great confusion and unrest at our house for several days as we did not know if he was dead or alive. Even after the news of his survival and rescue reached our family, we did not know his condition for some time. I was only eight years old and my brother was five. Our father was eventually moved to a military hospital in Oklahoma City. I remember that he would sometimes leave his bed looking as if it was occupied and take the train to Neosho to spend the weekend with us. I am certain that this was not acceptable behavior, but under the circumstances, I wonder if punishment was often less severe or non-existent. So just stopping there, we have an account of Survivor Hoskins would actually go and sneak away and visit his family. And his daughter was saying, I wonder if punishment was often less severe or non-existent. So these men were, uh, it was understood that these men had been through uh, an experience that no one has ever, ever been, had, had encountered at that time through the entire war. The way they would act afterwards, it's possible that the superiors in the military were just saying, give them some space, give them some space. During these years, I remember people contacting my father wanting to know if he knew their lost loved ones. Eventually, he accepted a civil service position at Fort Campbell, Kentucky. He worked in the quartermaster office on base. My father, mother, brother, and I moved to base housing. My father continued to experience a restless life. He had many friends and spent numerous hours with them at the American Legion Club. His sense of family responsibility seemed to be an ongoing challenge for him. Toward the end of September of 1950, my father was not feeling well. However, he continued to work. He took me to my music lesson on Saturday of that week, and later that day he was admitted to a hospital in Hopkinsville for observation. That was the last time I saw my father alive. His condition seriously deteriorated that week, and he was moved to a veterans hospital in Louisville, Kentucky. He died October 3, 1950, of hepatitis and uremia poisoning. Our family's life was changed forever. For unknown reasons, our father had cashed in his $10,000 government insurance policy several months before his death. We were homeless and without adequate or sufficient living funds. As a strong person, our mother took an aggressive position trying to prove that our father's death was related to the USS Indianapolis experience. She believed this to be a reality, a reality, but lost the battle with the government as she could not prove his, her beliefs. She did learn that legislation had been passed shortly before his death that would account his military service years towards Social Security. This entitled us to the lowest level of benefits. Life was not easy. USS Indianapolis survivors would ed, would end up having a reunion where they would get together in Indianapolis and uh, talk to each other and share stories trying to deal with um, the aftermath of the tragedy. Uh, she talks about how she attended some of those. She says, as chapter 114 closes, I wish to share that a grandson of our dad, seaman apprentice Russell W. Hoskins, 21 years old, graduated from boot camp training at Great Lakes Naval Recruit Command Center in May 2002. This is the same place our dad completed his training 58 years ago. A number of survivors were in attendance at Russell's graduation as they dedicated the new swimming pool building named for the USS Indianapolis. I end this narrative with a loving tribute to our father's tenacity in surviving the Indianapolis tragedy. 
in order to return to his family. I regret that he had such a short number of years and that readjustment seemed to be impossible for him. He made special contributions to his family, friends, and colleagues in his limited numbers of years on earth. So that was the first one that I wanted to highlight, a survivor whose life just went downhill. He started his responsibilities to his family. He just kind of became very distant after coming back from the sinking of the USS Indianapolis, and he ends up dying at the age of 50 years old in 1950, which is uh, only five years later. So he only hit, uh, got to spend five years with his family after the, uh, after the sinking. Okay, so the next survivor would be uh, Chapter 34. We have Aviation Ordnance Man 3rd Class Lewis D. Campbell. This one is also written by the survivor's daughter, Bonnie. My dad was born in Nebraska in November 1924. He came to Richmond, California as a teenager and made Richmond his home. He went into the Navy and was soon on board the USS Indianapolis as an aviation ordinanceman. He told me that he wanted to make the Navy his career. However, that all changed when the Indianapolis went down. Part of my dad went down with her. He was never the same physically or mentally. In 1948, he married Bar Barbara Livingston. This was after the war. He had met her when he was in school, and they had eight children. I was the youngest, and as I got a little older, I could hear screaming in the night. It was my dad. I did not know for many years why he was having bad dreams. He told me one day that he had been on the USS Indianapolis and that she had been sunk, taking many crew members down with her. He hated himself for some of the things he did. He cried when he told me how he had to take life jackets off the sailors when they died. He never did get over that, and he never forgot the screams of his buddies. I think we kids were the only kids on the block that could drink anything we wanted before going to bed. Dad always told us that we could have all the water we wanted. As time went by, the ties between my mom and dad came to an end. I did not see my dad for quite some time until I was out of high school. I had a drawing that I had done of the USS Indianapolis. When he came by years later to see us, I gave him that drawing. That was the last time I was to see him. In 1999, alcohol took him down. I have, I have attended several reunions. The USS Indianapolis Survivors Group makes me feel like family when I am with you. I will keep you in my prayers. Again, thank you for asking me to complete Chapter 34. Uh, Survivor Campbell on Chapter 34, what we have is we have an accounting by his daughter is this man was very troubled afterwards and uh, so much that he would, his reaction, um, there was uh, a lot of uh, shouting and screaming at night. He probably had trouble sleeping. Um, what I thought, the, that's a very, that's a, listen to the very human reaction of, uh, as kids, we were the only kids on the block that could drink anything we wanted before going to bed. Dad always told us we could have all the water we wanted. So here, this man was so thirsty for those five days that year, years later, he's making sure his kids always have water. So there would be glasses of water around the house. And he would never even take that for granted afterwards, just a glass of fresh water. That right there brings such a human moment to this tragedy. And these are the little things that I wanted to focus on as we tell the story of Quint. Because these men were real, and these are real reactions to such a, such a tragic event. Ultimately, he couldn't deal with it, and he leaves his family, and then alcohol takes him down. So he got into alcohol, 
That's how he dealt with it and led to another tragedy, which was how would his life have been different if he didn't go through this? So there's a cause for everything. There's a cause and there's an effect. And these are the little things that I stumbled, that you come across when I was doing the research that can lead to, it's a very important piece to how we can appreciate the character of Quint. Remember, Quint is the fictional embodiment of all these men put together. And when you realize that, when you stand back, you sit there and you say, wow, this, that's where Jaws has a whole new, it's a, it's a very, very special movie because these men are represented in this one character. We're going to do one more here. Um, chapter 86, Survivor Gibson. So this is uh, Gunner's Mate, third class, Buck W. Gibson was born on June 13th, 1922. Now he has a very, it's a very extensive chapter. It's a, quite a few pages. But I'm going to read some of the parts that real, that he puts a very realistic tone onto this tragedy. I remember when I read this part, it gave me a whole new understanding on, on what to portray during the writing of the book. But more so, Listening to this, this is an actual survivor, a gunner's mate, third class Gibson. Listening to these couple of paragraphs here, this is real. This is not a screenplay for a movie. This really happened. As far as I know, none of my gun crew survived. All the gunner's mates hung out around a small area called the gun shack where we drank coffee and talked. One of my very good friends from this group, Joseph Durand of New Orleans, did not survive. He slid under the number three eight-inch gun mount when we were hit. He broke his back, then slid into the water. I feel a great sense of guilt that I never tried to locate his family to tell them what happened to him. We had made it to another daybreak. I kept looking for that tin can coming to our rescue. I was already so weary from trying to hold my place on the net. I knew I had to preserve my strength until we were picked up. As dawn broke, I could see debris scattered everywhere. Dead bodies were floating all around us. I was floating with only my shoulders and head out of the water. From the time we hit the water, sharks started attacking us. All of the five days I was in the water, sharks attacked men next to me, pulling them under. We tried splashing and screaming to scare them away, but a hungry shark smelling blood and death is not easy to scare. Without a warning, a shark would grab a body and carry it off. Or if they took only a piece of the body, we knew they would be back for the rest. We moved away as quickly as we could. We got away from anyone who was burned or smelled of blood, as this was a sure invitation for a shark attack. As soon as a man expired, we cut him loose from the net as bait for the sharks in hopes they would not come back for us. We would say a prayer, cut them loose, and bury them at sea. When you hear the, sc when you hear the screams of someone being pulled away by a shark, it is a scream like nothing you have ever heard or will ever forget. You hear them screaming, and there is nothing you can do to help them. And he continues on. There's there's some paragraphs that I, I that I don't want to get into because they're a little graphic. But they, but there is a um, this tragedy was much worse than what what we heard in Jaws. There's a lot more going on, and I believe that there should be more more awareness for what these men went through. That it's not just a speech on the orca in Jaws. There's so much more that happened. And we, it's up to us to push that out there and to let people know what happened. So Gunners May Gibson uh, writes later on in the chapter, he said, The older I get, the more it bothers me. 
There is not one day that passes that I do not think about my days in the water, my lost friends. I can still hear the screams. My wife tells me I cry out and yell in my sleep and that I talk to myself all the time. I relive these nightmares over and over. I am still extremely nervous and jumpy. My family told me when I first came home from the hospital and I was sleeping, no one would go near me or touch me as I was so nervous I would attack them. Words are inadequate to express my feeling, and no one can really know the horror I have been through. That was Gunner's Mate Third Class Gibson. And you can find all these accounts in the book, uh, Only 316 Survived. That's the name of the book now. It was under the name Only 317 Survived. Um, you can find it on Amazon. There's a you know, Kindle edition is available on Amazon. Um, they include pictures of these survivors. So in closing, on this Memorial Day, I wanted to bring awareness to the, the, the real survivors of the USS Indianapolis, not just the men who died, but the men who lived afterwards. There's a, the tragedy continued. And the aftermath and how these men's lives were affected, they, each, they were each different in their own way. And that's where Quint's story really takes root. Quint's struggles and isolation as he deals with the lingering guilt and stress from not just the living through and experiencing the tragedy of the USS Indianapolis, but the years of surviving. That's also a struggle. And that's where I believe that this story, the character of Quint, can be used to bring awareness to post-traumatic stress disorder, survivor's guilt, and create more discussion and more dialogue going forward where this was an era where many of these men were not allowed to talk about these things because it just wasn't considered right. Thank you very much for listening this week. You can visit us at jawsob.com, bookofquint.com. For Memorial Day 2022, uh, we remember all the, me- all the men of the USS Indianapolis who lost their lives in the sinking and these men also who survived and how they each dealt with the tragedy in their own way. Farewell and adieu, and thank you for listening.